Some of you may remember my video, I wasn't calling them ruminations back then, on Chrono Trigger. That was way back in the day. It sucked. It was one of the old and terribles. But what I said right at the beginning is something that's been a mentality of mine for a very long time, since high school, actually. It's something I get from my dad and from my mom both. It's not really enough to say that Chrono Trigger's good, because it is. The question is, why is it good? And actually expounding upon that and going into detail is more interesting and relevant. This is one of the reasons I use the rating system that I do. You know, pluses and minuses, rather than just saying 5 out of 10. Because what's 5 out of 10 convey? Well, that's average. What's 8 out of 10 convey? Well, that's good. We can add gradients. We can go from 0 to 100 or 0 to 1,000. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the only information that's conveyed is how good is it and how bad is it. You know, anywhere on that scale. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Not for me. No, 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 no offense intended to anybody else who, who you know, likes that, of course. Or anybody else who uses that kind of system. That's just not my thing. So if you want my thumbs up or thumbs down, here's my answer. At absolute most, this game might be worth picking up if it's, like, say, on Super Sale, which is about five bucks, and you just feel like running around and screwing around for a bit. But to be perfectly blunt, if that's all you want out of the game... Just buy Just Cause 3 or 2 and do the exact same thing, but better. There's the summary. Let's try to go into some detail, shall we? I'm actually going to hit the story axis first, because they screw it up so hard, but it also has so much less of the focus in a game like this, obviously. The story's terrible, but it's mostly in how it's presented. The plot itself is whatever. There's some super corporate guy who we've never heard of before, of course, who has actually been behind most of the events that led to the, the overall arc of the story. He was the one who tried to have uh, our you know Rico's parents killed, and instead it was to the agency, and he has Tark ties to the agency, and the agency are the real villains, and blah, blah, blah. That's about it. He gets a grand total of five cutscenes. I'm not joking. Then we have Mira, who I, I mean, sure, whatever, but I, I you know what, I'm, I actually, I'm actually done talking about the characters, because they're all generic. None of them are fleshed out to any depth whatsoever, with the possible exception of Cesar, and even that, he's mostly just there, he, he manages, because he's kind of a joke character. Even Sheldon's there, although I didn't recognize him at first. I'll talk more about that later. So we have characters who aren't really selling it. Their animation isn't really great, and the graphic design of their appearance is just kind of weird. It looks kind of like a PS2 game that got upscaled. And I, I mean that sincerely. There was one specific scene where someone had a frowny animation, you know, a frowny emote, whatever you want to call that, stuck to their face. And then they were supposed to smile. And, he, and what happens is he turns up and he smiles. He goes straight from one motion between the two. Right? like you'd see in a PS2 game. Frankly, I've seen PS2 games that have better facial capturing than that, but let's not go into that. I'm talking like early PS2. So that's the first problem. Uh, the next problem is that the plot is silly and ridiculous, except it's not. It should be silly and ridiculous. We're going after some secret corporate mogul leader dude who has a mega army and literally trillions of dollars worth of hardware and is building a weather control device. That sounds awesome. One of the things that the Just Cause series usually does is it, 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 it really digs into the kitsch, the, the shtick of being the silly, ridiculous action stuff. I actually talked about this on stream. 
to me, this is like what the last, the Just Cause series is canonically, wrong word, in headcanon, it's the same universe as the last action hero. In universe, right? It, it, the whole universe runs on silly action hero rules. I mean, for God's sakes, early on in the game, we t we infiltrate a factory and turn on the factory by destroying, by blowing up, excuse me, the generators. One of the most common mission types we have in this game is unlocking things by destroying breakers. <laughs> Everything's done by exploding. Everything's done by action hero logic, right? And you know what? I'm okay with that. But the problem is this game isn't that. What, what this game actually is, is a serious and dramatic game where we have real stakes. You, cousin, have betrayed me. <laughs> I can't even say what the straight is. You have betrayed me. And you have decided to turn in our own uncle, and now you're going to turn me in, too. Just because of the fact that I have, have done this thing. Uh, I, I will show you the thing. I, Sheldon, you, you gotta understand, I had no idea that the agency secretly murdered your parents. Spoiler alert. All of these scenes are played completely straight-faced. And not in a good way. So... Let's analyze that for a second. In my opinion, there's three ways to do this kind of silly actiony stuff from a narrative, from a from a zoomed out narrative perspective. There's obviously a lot of li little niggling details, um, and I'll go ahead and go into it. Well, sure, let's go over niggling details first before I forget. Cinematography—that's how you use the camera and how you move the camera. Okay, so angles and movement. None of that was any good. Uh, most of it was done specifically to, again, PS2 game, right? Really, really basic camera angles. A whole lot of static, you know, at, at uh, like, midsection level, and just a little bit to the side. And then really simple pans left and right. Nothing complex or interesting whatsoever. Second point, storyboarding. Now, if you don't know what that means, because I had to describe this on stream... It's when you, you it, it's, in some cases you literally have like a whiteboard and you, and you sketch out, but in some cases you, you pull out like plates, like okay, so in this plate, this is the scene that happens, and this one, this is the, and you sketch out exactly what happens, so you know the camera angles you want, you know the specific stances people are going to be in, you want, you know, and this also leads directly into blocking, so you know where people are going to be blocked, where they're going to be physically present in the scenes, and storyboarding refers to that kind of planning out exactly the specific mechanics of how a scene will progress. So in this case, it felt like they didn't storyboard it. Characters would just magically appear wherever they needed to be. And in some cases, there would be no logical flow of events. It would just be things happening for some reason, and then the cutscene's over. Or all of a sudden, there's this helicopter, but now it's gone. No sound or anything. It's just it's erased from existence. <laughs> this, one, was, this one soldier gets a drop on Rico, despite the fact that there's nobody else actually... He, he just teleports behind Rico and gets the drop on him. And Rico does a superhero landing to show how badass he is, despite the fact that this is a serious dramatic scene. Which leads me to my next point. Tone. The tone... Well, I'll talk more about tone in a minute. But the tone is all over the place. It seems to want to be like, I'm total badass. But also, this is a serious and gritty character drama. Which, you can do that, but they don't. They fail at it. <sighs> what else do they do wrong? Um, I mentioned blocking. I already talked about how things kind of just teleport in and out. And just events happen. There's no audio continuity whatsoever. In some cases, events happen because drama. 
there's there's no logic or reason whatsoever to how these cutscenes progress. It's just, hey, there's a thing. And then it, there's no conclusion to cutscenes. They just kind of stop. But there's two other things I wanted to address. The dialogue is what I call first-pass dialogue. I've actually talked about this a lot in many of my works. Um, if you, as a writer, are a really excellent writer, which you may be, because Lord knows I'm a crap writer, so you're probably better than me, but let's assume you're a great writer. Let's assume you sit down and write some dialogue for a scene. Despite the fact that you are a good writer, that dialogue probably sucks. And that's because you're not really interested in that right now. What you're trying to do is get out the skeleton of what's supposed to happen. So you say things, and, and the dialogue is supposed to get across the ideas of what you want, but it's nothing nuanced or specific, and it doesn't sound like human beings talk, right? Um, I wish I had a specific example for you. Please forgive me that I do not. I didn't, I didn't prep one. But I bet you know what I'm talking about. That's first-pass dialogue. It's literally the first draft you did, and now we got to do a, a polishing pass and then a two or three, and sometimes you get up to nine separate passes to really refine that dialogue to make it more interesting. You know, I, I, you, you could in some cases replace it with just words like snark. And then later on you go back and add some snark there. Stuff like that. This is first pass dialogue. So that's another problem. Then, well, then we run into all kinds of other issues. It's the, the, how do you do this kind of thing? So I was mentioning that earlier. Well, there's three ways. One is to do it badly, which I have been describing. The second way to do it is to do it k winking at the camera, right? In other words, oh my god, there's no way I'll ever be able to make this jump. Don't worry. I think we're going to make it. Yeah! And then they, and then he puts rockets onto the back of his old Volkswagen Beetle, and it flies over the lava pit, which is currently being electrified, and manages to spin upside down while he's doing it, so he can reach out and grab the bomb and then land safely and then throw the bomb at the guy and it lands in the guy's mouth and he's like, you just been canceled. There you go. That's winking at the camera. Another way to do this kind of ridiculousness is completely sincere. This is harder to describe and it's usually done more rarely because it's much more hard, hard to uh, get it across. But when you do it completely sincerely, what you have is what I call Flash Gordon effect. A.K.A. when there is no winking in the camera, but it's ridiculous nonsense, but everyone plays it completely straight. This could also be easily called the South Park effect, and it is usually used for comedic effect. In South Park, half of the, maybe a third of the comedy that they use is, here's an absolutely ridiculous situation, right? Like, oh my god, everyone's running through the streets and they're all screaming in terror because nothing's happening. That's the joke. They're all treating it sincerely while the ridiculous thing is happening. Make sense? That's the second, or third, I suppose, way that you can actually make this kind of thing work. There are several movies which do exactly that. Um, true, true Lies would be winking at the camera, whereas Commando would be playing it seriously. But both are ridiculous action, but both manage it. Those are both movies, but you get the idea. This game does the thir the first thing, which is completely bungles it the entire way through. Forgive me for talking about this point a lot, but I wanted to get really get this point across, because Just Cause 3 and 2 both manage the ridiculous factor better than this one. Moving on. So that's all I have to say about the narrative. You might think, well, what about the villain? <sighs> You're funny. Five cutscenes. Let's talk about the gameplay. Uh, now... The core running around having fun is still fun. 
Let's be very clear about that. If you just want to mess around, I did laugh and I did smile for a fairly large portion of this game. However, I'm not sure the game gets credit for that. Because most of it is stuff that's effectively the video game equivalent of so bad it's good. The physics engine is so terrible, and the game just doesn't know how to deal with so many things, that when I'm wandering around and I just see a, a truck doing spinning spinning on one tire as it's, as it's rotating around there dancing and then getting knocked into a helicopter which smashes into another helicopter which explodes, I don't know if the game gets credit for that. When I grab a cargo jet with with a with a helicopter and then try to land on it and the engine doesn't know how to handle that so we just go flying off into the distance and then explode i'm not sure the game gets credit for that but credit or not those moments were fun there was a lot of just radiant stuff where radiant silly fun would happen and that's where the game shined here's the catch just cause 2 and 3 as well as saints row 3 and 4 and 2 all did things to encourage those moments to happen. The game design was clearly built in a direction so that you would be in areas with lots of set pieces, which can all domino all off of each other, and then, hey, silly, zany, fun. This game does not really have that. The main core missions are boring. I'll talk about that in just a second. And the, the random events you can do are mostly like 10-second little challenges, which are barely relevant. And there's nothing really to do in towns, so there's no reason to go to towns. And that's it. Most of the countryside is completely empty and barren. That's, of course, part of how the overworld is badly designed. An open-world game really sits, in my opinion, on two major things. Density and transit. Now, the transit they got covered. It is fun to go from point A to point B in this game. Absolutely. That's been true in most of the Just Cause games, so that's cool. But it also has to have density. That is to say, there has to be a density of content. Stuff to do. And as I think I just mentioned, there kinda isn't. Each reason has its one, each region has its one big quest. There are the three overall story arcs. And then there's like the four side mission arcs. And then there's the stunts. That's it. <laughs> the fact that I blew through this game in a day and a half while doing most of the stuff while playing off-camera, probably says something about how little there is to do in this overall area. And again, it's not about the size. It just keeps coming up in video games. It's about the density, about what is used within the space allotted. I mentioned I'd talk about the missions. The missions are probably the worst part of this game. Defend the transmitter while it very slowly transmits. Duh, defend a single spot. Well, it very slowly transmits. Take out the jammers so that it can continue transmitting. Mix and match, and you just described half the missions in this game without exaggerating. There are other types. Um, rescuing the prisoners from the area, getting the specific vehicle. The vehicle ones were actually one of the ones. So that one is, you have to get into these areas, but there's these giant doors in the way. And they, for some reason, unlock for a specific type of vehicle. That was kind of fun. And in most cases, those were decently designed. Though, but the fact that that bare-bones, get-a-key-come-back level mission design is the best mission design in the, in the game probably says a lot. Um, the missions are also excessively scripted, especially the plot ones. Let me explain what I mean that, by that. Because scripting is fine. But let's say that I have a mission 
to enter. This is actually this is a real example. This actually happened in the game. I have a mission to enter a cave, destroy a wind cannon, and in so doing, stop them from defeating this tornado we're trying to summon. Okay. So let's say that I'm over here and I zoom in, find the wind cannon, and destroy it. Cool, right? No, because my mission objective is to go to this waypoint which leads inside the cave, which somehow I missed on my way in. So what I now have to do is go out to the waypoint, which will then move me to this waypoint, which will then move me to this waypoint, which will then move me to the cannon. This is what I mean by excessively scripted. The game has no idea how to, how to deal with the fact that you have jumped ahead in the script. And, and this actually ran in, uh, ran in, I, I ran into this several times throughout this game, and it just kind of completely destroys the pacing and tempo of so many of the missions. The missions themselves are copy-pasted, I already mentioned that. That's just, it, it makes it so it's kind of more of a chore. If anything, I was kind of reminded of Just Cause 2 a little bit, because I tried to 100% Just Cause 2 when I was young and stupid. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Raspberry Jam. Now, I've heard a lot of people ask about that. I didn't come up with that phrase. That didn't come from me, unfortunately. Because I would totally wish I had given that nomenclature. Raspberry Jam refers to when the... goes all over the screen, right? And you can barely see what you're doing. And... is this... Okay, sorry. I thought I saw something, but I actually thought I saw some red on my screen. I think you can tell I'm losing it here. And it's like, oh my god, and that's your low health indicator. Now that sucks, because it makes it hard to see, and it's distracting, and it's not really that indicative anyways, because there's a lot of other better ways in order to get across that idea. While we were streaming this game, we thought of many other ways you can indicate low health. You can do the Super Mario Odyssey route, where you hear a doo-doo, doo and then it slowly fades, so you don't have the constant Pokemon problem. You could have a thing where maybe just parts of the interface, you know, out, so most of the screen is still super visible, but over here you see over, like, say, your X bar, or down here by your weapon bar, something like that. You could have an actual health bar. You could have something visually on yourself, like in Dead Space, where you can actually see your health bar, like, on your back. You could have color indicators of your relative health, like in Jedi Fallen Order, which is also the droid on your back. I'm going to stop here. We came up with many other ways to showcase low health other than this. There are options, is what I'm trying to say. Yakuza Kiwami, Metroid Fusion, you get the idea. Mega Man X4, we're done. Speaking of which, though, this is a good segue into the HUD, which is bad. So you've got your, uh, let's see, on your screen, so you got the exp up there, and then you got the weapon up there, and then you got like the occasional thing up there, and that's kind of it. Minimal HUD is fine, though, as long as it's well-designed. That's not really the issue. Although, there are two big issues with the HUD. First is the font is minuscule, and there's no option to make it larger. I don't know why modern games keep falling into this trap, but there it is. The second problem is much bigger, though. Now, this may be only a me problem, because I do have some color distinction issues. But there are two things that would come up in the game constantly. A very light teal objective marker, that's where you need to go for the mission, and a very transparent red arrow that shows where you're getting shot from. Now, I could barely see both of those, and, and there are many, anybody who watched the stream could tell you, there were many moments where I'm playing the game, and what I would do is I would stop dead, and I would either listen, if I had the headphones in, or I would watch for the tracer rounds, and I would use that to determine where the enemies are, because I could not see the frickin' red. Part of that's the Raspberry Jam problem, but part of it's because they just didn't design the red arrow well. Now I thought, hmm, maybe I'm just an idiot. 
So I, no joke, installed Just Cause 3 during this premiere run, and actually went back and streamed that for, for just a couple minutes. And lo and behold, the red arrow there, much more distinct. Much easier to see where shots are coming from, and therefore be, be able to tell where I'm looking. Just night and day. The other thing about the HUD is actually not the HUD at all, it's the interface. I cannot put into words how awkward it was to maneuver through this menu. Let me, let me run you through this. Now, I'm playing on mouse and keyboard, of course. Bad PC port. We're walking. We're walking. In order to enter the menu, I have to hit 1. Okay. Then in order to navigate the menu, I have to hit 2 and 3. But in order to leave the menu, I have to hit the number of where I currently am, which is either 1, 2, or 3. Escape will do nothing. In order to... So let's say I wanted to change the mods on my thing. So I would have to hit 1, 3 down, enter, hold down left shift, and then hit A and D to select the mod I have. Let go of left shift, hit backspace, hit backspace again, and then hit 2. Now, if that doesn't sound awkward, that's fine. It's just minor. But that's just one of the problems with the interface, because the other issues with the interface are how they present the information and how many menus you have to go through to go through things that really should have been just things the kind of thing you do on the fly. I already mentioned the overworld. I already mentioned the mission variety. Let's talk about uh, three other things that I'm going to chop off because I'm basically done. Th this is not a good game, if I made that very clear, in my opinion. There's some silly fun here, and certainly I've played worse. But this is, this is a net negative game, absolutely. The graphics. Now, again, I installed Just Cause 3 in the middle of this. And it looks better to me, but that might be an aesthetic thing. So let's talk objectively. I don't know if you've seen the water effects in Just Cause 3, but they're actually water effects. There's actual wave simulation, and you can kind of see through it. It's got good shimmer. The water in Just Cause 4 is a flat plane with a repeated texture on it. I'm not joking. Here's another one for you. The way the grass moves and the way the grass looks. So the grass would have this thing where you could walk over it and it would get smushed down. In Just Cause 4, the grass is just, it doesn't have collision. In fact, a lot of things don't have collision in Just Cause 4. Grass, trees, um, your parachute, for example. In Just Cause 3, uh, and 2, actually, they would do this thing where the terrain would morph into, I don't, there's a term for this, but it would morph from a lower polygon thing into a higher polygon count thing to be more detailed looking the closer you got to it. Usually this was done at like the 100 foot or, you know, 30 meter range, right? And quite a ways out. So you don't really notice unless you're paying attention. And it was a smart little feature to make the game smoother and run better. This game did that at closer to the 3 meter range or the 10 foot range. Like it's like right there, right in front of you. At one point I was zooming along the ground and I, was, and I was just pointing it out to a viewer. like, here, do you see what's happening on the road there as we're moving? Or I would, like, walk on foot up back and forth to a rock, and you would see it morphing as I'm, like, five feet from the damn thing, or two meters from the damn thing. Just... <laughs> so, that's bad. But the funny thing is, you'd think that would help to optimize it, right? No, this game is incredibly badly optimized. It ran like crap, and it had constant stutters. I have a pretty nice machine. <laughs> it's not super top of the line. It should certainly be able to run this game. It didn't. Oh yeah, and while we're on the the subject of objective things, this game crashed for me nine times in about uh, what is that? Eighteen hours. Eighteen hours of gameplay. I'll I don't have the number in front of me, so please forgive me. But it was less than twenty. 
the lighting is awful. I actually got got reshade working for this just so I could get rid of some of the bloom and some of the HDR effects because it's oversaturated to hell and back to the point where it's actually a little bit visibly painful to look at. And again, everything was so blurry. Motion blur is on by default while we're on the subject. I can't even imagine what this looks like on console. Let's talk about the last thing I want to talk about. Now, there are two parts of any video game that I'm much harsher about criticizing and judging than any other parts. That is the intro and the outro, for reasons that are probably self-explanatory. The intro in this game was lackluster. Mostly it was bad from a story perspective, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. The outro, on the other hand... Now, remember what I mentioned about the lack of mission variety? So the outro consisted of charging into an area, going through the same dungeon, actually, as the very beginning of the game, but nothing new. No new enemies. No new encounters. No new set pieces. You had to do the same move the breakers and pull out the turbines thing you've been doing for the last 10 hours. The exact same mission type as every other bog-standard mission in the game. That's already bad. We talked about this on camera. A good game will either invent new mechanics or maybe a new way to present those mechanics. You know, now, I, I don't have an exact example off the top of my head, so I'm going to use a terrible example that I made up off the top of my head in order to describe this. Let's say you're playing a side-scroller platformer, and you gain the ability to freeze lava so that it gives you a platform. Okay? Now, in the final stage, you have the same thing where there's chunks of lava, but those chunks of lava are like floating up in the air or something. Just bear with me. So if you hit them with the ice, now they will freeze and then pretty much immediately plummet. So now you've added an extra dimension, literally, but figuratively, to how exactly you are engaging in this exact same game mechanic. You have now added to the, to the depth of it, and now you have to think more about what you're doing with it. Really good games will do this kind of thing all over the place, and, you know, I, I tend to think of the Mega Man games as being excellent at that, but Metroids tend to do that sort of thing as well, Mario games tend to do that sort of thing. You get my idea. Hell, the previous Just Cause games would do things like this. This, however, is the, is the equivalent of, to use Super Mario World as an example, because you've probably played or at least watched Super Mario World. Imagine if you got to the very last dungeon, and it was just the exact same enemies and just general terrain types as way back in the very first world in Yoshi's Island, and that's kind of what you got here. Then we get to the final boss. Now, I'm even more harsh about a final boss because I've always said a final boss should be unique in at least some way. Maybe narratively, maybe it has a unique gameplay mechanic, maybe they do something fun or interesting with the music, like an FF6, uh, maybe they invent a completely new type of code to present the game differently, like in Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Something, right? In this case, what they did was they threw you up against several waves, like two waves, it took maybe 40 seconds, of the exact same trash encounters you've been fighting for the entire game. That's it. That's the last boss fight. And then the cutscene ending plays, and it's not good for all the reasons already listed. It, it, it hits all the same problems. The only nice part was the, was the, the villain dying, like, wait, we can make a deal. Oh, and by the way, since you're at this point, you probably don't care about spoilers, the game ends on a to-be-continued, in, in a, in a we're-gonna-go-after-the-agency kind of voice, setting up the sequel, right? Which is probably never going to happen at this point. <sighs> 
There's a cutscene, I saved this for last, there's a cutscene earlier in the game where you find out that the agency was specifically behind killing Rico's parents, Rico's the main character, killing Rico's parents in order to uh, set up recruiting him. Now, there was a little bit of a hint of that back in the third game, which was dealt, dealt with very well, because it meant that uh, Diravello, who was, the, I can't remember, I remember his name, because he was a good villain. He, he was the villain of three, and he was actually behind this as a way to kind of get in good with the agency. He effectively arranged this assassination as a favor to the agency in order to sell Rico to them and thus gain some regency, uh, excuse me, gain some agency uh, bonus points, right? Cool, that all lines up perfectly. In this game, it's revealed, no, it was actually this guy and the agency who arranged the death all along, and they used Dilavello in order to do this, and the agency was behind everything. And Sheldon, who's been our agency contact for forever, didn't know any about this. Didn't know anything about this. And he was just sent to rescue us. Now, this should be a major moment. This is the biggest story reveal this entire game has. And it completely retcons multiple things previously. Not, not even retcon. It's like a big reveal. It's the big, oh my god, it was his sled kind of a moment. It had no impact. No drama. No relevance. No presentation. The actors didn't sell it. The animation didn't sell it. The dialogue didn't sell it. The camera use didn't sell it. The lack of music didn't sell it. And that is this game in a nutshell. The biggest thing that this game had going for it fell flat. This game is a limp fish trying desperately to struggle through the water. And occasionally it does something cool by complete accident. But then it flops under the ground and slowly suffocates as you watch it awkwardly. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this one. I'll see you next time.